You are listening to sermon audio from Red Tree Church. For more information about our church or to find more sermon audio, visit redtreechurch.com. He's going to talk to you guys a little bit about apostles. Uh, you've probably heard a lot about them, but it, it'll be better to hear it from Tom because he's, Hopefully. he's way better at telling the story than I am. But I just want you guys to hear why our elders and our church are passionate about what God is doing in our city through ministries like Apostles. We are grateful to God for the call he's put on Todd's heart and, and on the church as a whole. And the, and the fact that we get to have just the teeniest little piece of supporting what God is doing in our city, in St. Louis, like we're, we're, we're a part of that, is, is such a cool thing. So Todd, I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to hand the pulpit over, and you can feel free to just rake us over the coals for the next Let's hour. go. Sounds Let's good? go, yeah. Awesome. Jesus, thank you for my brother Todd. Thank you for the gift of this morning. God, please anoint my brother in in your spirit. Please speak through him today. May you cut us to the quick with your word, and may we leave this place drawn to humility, dependence, and repentance um, toward you, Jesus. We love you, we trust you, we need you for this, so we pray in your name. Amen. 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 Well, thank you guys. I'm excited to be here. If if I end up doing any amount of what just happened with this young lady, then I'm really preaching today. Okay, if, if the spirit falls and I start turning laps around the pulpit. Uh, excited to be here today. Uh, as Pastor Sam said, uh, I'm lead pastor of Apostles Church. Uh, two years ago, we bought a, two years ago, we bought a 120-year-old facility. Uh, used to be Visitation Catholic Church on North Taylor and Martin Luther King. And so if you go to Central West End where the nice restaurants are, leave that area and drive north about 15 blocks uh, you run into us. We are in the neighborhood of Lewis Place is the name of our neighborhood. Uh, it's, Lewis Place is a historically significant neighborhood uh, because uh, it was the uh, site where uh, the Supreme Court case came up against housing discrimination. Uh, Lewis Place was a white community uh, that had um, a covenant amongst their residents that people of color couldn't buy homes in the neighborhood. So a few uh, of our light-skinned brothers and sisters uh, went under a disguise as Caucasian, bought homes, later came out as African-American. Uh, the, the white residents tried to out them from their homes, and the case went all the way to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court ruled in favor of the African-American homeowners, and that broke up housing contracts across the country. And so uh, we are a small church uh, in a historically important neighborhood trying to continue to do the same work of breaking down the dividing walls of hostility. And so we started a church four years ago, my wife and I, uh, in our living room. We, bought, we sold our house on the south side of the city. We bought a house on the north side. And uh, we really wanted to see a church that looked like our city. Uh, there's lots of churches in St. Louis. Few of them look like the neighborhoods they exist in. And uh, we wanted, I've always had like a chip on my shoulder. If you tell me I can't do something, that's usually what I'm going to do. Jesus redeemed that, praise his name. And uh, so... At first, we planted a church called August Gate Church in South City in 2009. Uh, people told three redneck hillbillies from southern Illinois that they couldn't plant a church in the city. So that's what we did. Uh, five years into that, my wife and I began to be passionate about seeing uh, the divide of St. Louis broken down and that the church would lead out in that conversation. People told us a white guy could never plant a multi-ethnic church. So that's what we did. Uh, we're four years into it. We're, uh, we are the white church in our neighborhood, but only because there's no white people in our neighborhood. If there was one white person in our entire church, we would be the white church. Uh, so we are a 70% minority church. God's doing amazing things, and we're so grateful 
for y'all's partnership in the gospel. It's, it's actually integral to what we do. Uh, if we want to actually reach people in our community, we need uh, support from those around us who love the gospel and love kingdom ministry. So thank you guys so much for that. Uh, Sam has graciously given me a text today on tithing. Uh, on the day that your children are not in children's ministry. And so we're going to lock your kids into sacrificial giving early in their lives. Uh, so we're going to be, that's where we're going to be at today. Uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles uh, to the book of Malachi, we're going to be in Malachi chapter 3, uh, starting in verses 6 through 15. Uh, if you're able to, I don't know how y'all do things, but at Apostles Church we like to stand when we read God's word. So if you're able to, would you stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word? If you're there, say, I'm there. If you need more time, say, hold up. All right. Now we know who we need to pray for. Okay. Malachi 3, 6 through 15. And this is what the word of the Lord says. For I, the Lord, do not change. You already missed your shouting moment there. There you go. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the day of our fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with the curse For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you send your precious Holy Spirit to be our teacher today? Would you allow me and my flesh to sit down and would your spirit take up residence in this pulpit? God, would you be our teacher? Would you instruct us in what is correct? God, would you allow the true words that you want us to know to resound in our spirits. And God, would you use your power through the preaching of your word to transform us, to change us, to send us out of here different. God, you and you alone can do this because you and you alone are the living God. We ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Amen is Baptist for you can sit down. (laughs) What I want to talk to us about today is from this idea that God doesn't change so that we can. God doesn't change so that we can. This text today uh, starts with the idea that God himself tells us, 
I do not change that. I, I researched a little bit of, uh, you, remember, you know, you guys have been to like Branson maybe, uh, places that do old time photography. Do you know what I'm saying? Where they take, you, you dress up in ruffles and they take a, a, a sapia filter. That's, what, that's how we know it, right? Sapia. But back in the day, it's just these like 10 photographs. Well, the way that photographs used to work, they still work a little bit this way, but there would be a flash that you would actually set off like a fire flash, which would provide enough light that as the, the shutter on the camera lens would open up, that the image that was standing still would be transposed onto the metal or the paper on which you would find the picture. Now, the problem is, is that if the image you were taking a photo of shifted one way or the other, the resulting image would be blurry. It would not, you'd not be able to see it perfectly. So the important part was that the subject of the image remained constant. If the reflection would be visible. What we need to say today is that God never changes so that we can reflect his image to the world around us. He remains the same, and we are the ones that need to shift into focus of the image that we seek to reflect. The text says this in verse 6, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Uh, Where where I live, we we often talk about if somebody uh, changes, they've switched up. You heard that before? They've they've, They've become somebody different. They've switched up. I think what we need to see is that if God switched up, we would be swallowed up. You see, God is reminding them of their heritage. He's saying, you are children of Jacob, which means you come from somewhere. And where you come from is important. You see, Jacob was a child of Isaac, and Isaac was a child of Abraham. And this is important. Some of my super saved people here know that it's important because God made himself a promise with Abraham, didn't he? He promised him that his descendants would outnumber the stars in the sky and that his family would bless all the nations. You see, for the people of Israel, Abraham's descendants, children of Jacob, this is a massively important statement because God made a promise to their granddaddy and he's not going to break it now. That's the thing about God, isn't it? He keeps his promises. See, God's character doesn't change. When he makes a promise, we, he keeps it. And this is a huge benefit to us. You see, because God doesn't change, we get another chance. Because God doesn't change, we get another chance. The, see, the people of Israel were not consumed. They weren't destroyed. Even though they had turned away from God, he continued to pursue them. This is how God expressed his love for them, that he would keep his promise even though they broke theirs. But isn't this just like us? It's just like us, isn't it? We break our promises. We we break even the promises we make to ourselves, don't we? We break promises because we're broken people. We can't even keep our own standards, let alone God's standard. I'm going to start working out on Monday. No, you will not. If you want it to work out, today is the day of salvation, says the Lord. Go get your hiding in the gym and start working out today. No reason to wait till Monday. For some reason, we have this idea that Monday is the day that everything begins, right? And so if I just, I'm just going to start working out on Monday. Listen, I'll just be real honest. I, I, uh, I started a fitness 
uh, uh, thing a year ago. I went to a gym. You had to put down $600. But if you hit your fitness goal, you got all the money back. Hey, if that's not motivation, I don't know what is. It's like somebody's just giving you your money back, but you think you're making money. You know, it's like tax season. And uh, uh, so I, I hit my goal. I got the money back. And I'm a hustler, and so I look at the gym, and I'm like, I'm not going to get a membership here. I'm going to take pictures of everything the gym has. I'm going to buy it for myself, put it in my garage. Boom. I work the system. Now I'm the gym owner. You know what I'm saying? I'm not paying somebody else. So what I did, I invested in a rower. You know what I'm saying? CrossFit style. Medicine balls, uh, dumbbells, fan bikes, all whatever the hip workout stuff is. And it's... it's, it's uh, Things are hanging on it in my garage right now. Because I don't keep my own promises even to myself. But God is better than us, isn't he? He keeps his promises. Because God doesn't change, we get another chance. It was true of Israel, and it's true for us. We see in verse 7, actually, it says this. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Now, here's one thing. So, um, it's good being with, with, with many of my Caucasian brothers and sisters. I appreciate the Caucasity in the, in the building. We, we originate from the Mount Caucasus area. And is that where we originate from? So, many of my Caucasian brothers, what we don't like to do, what's, what's tough for us, is it's hard for us to own the sins of our fathers, isn't it? In our country... We don't like to hear about the sins of the past that we didn't take part in, okay? If you can't say amen, say ouch. We, we, we like to ignore I wasn't a part. I didn't do that, so that's not on me. I think that the scriptures would actually argue the opposite of that. We see here that God speaks to the people of Israel and said, back before you were born, you were turning away from me. You were born into a family that does not keep my statutes. He attributes their sin to generational sin. They are intricately connected to, that's not even a word I just said, they're intimately connected to the sins of their fathers. This has been an issue for generations. The people of Israel come from generations before that had turned away from God. It was not new for them, and it wasn't isolated to the past. You see, this isn't their second chance. We talk about the God of second chances. This was not their second chance. This was their thousandth chance. Generational sin given opportunity to repent. Opportunity to repent. And isn't God good that we don't just get a second chance? Well, I need I needed a second chance before I got here this morning. Before my first cup of coffee was done, I needed a second chance. You see, he isn't thrown off like we are. By generations of sin. Praise God that he is not thrown off by generations of sin. How could, uh, how could we have pushed away, uh, how could you be pushed away by your sin just this week? God is not shaken by generations of sin. He's not shaken by your sin today. God loves us. And no matter our sins, it won't drive him away from us. Because our God doesn't change. He gives us the chance to. And God expresses his unchanging heart in verse 7 when he says these three words, return to me. Return to me. You see, God desires to be with you. He desires to be with his people. He doesn't want you to pay 
for your wrongdoing. He wants them to turn from it. He doesn't want you to have to endure your sin. He wants you to repent of it. See, I've worked a lot of jobs, and, and I think that uh, my most favorite task in my jobs is like uh, when I clean something and it's immediately done. Like you see something transition. Uh, one of my first jobs, I worked at Quick Trip, the best gas station in the world. I don't care if you're a mobile on the run person. I'll, I will fight you. <laughs> Quick Trip is better. And uh, one of the things I had to do is I had to power wash the, where the gas pumps were. You guys have seen how disgusting that is. But it's amazing how quickly the dirt goes away. It was so satisfying. And I grew up in the country. Uh, any, any rural folks here? Any rednecks? No? Okay, a couple, a couple. Okay. Okay, so there's, there's, there's city people, there's suburban people, and there's hillbillies. And uh, I'm a hillbilly turned urbanite, and so I'm having to acclimate to my suburban brothers and sisters. I appreciate you. And, uh, but one of the things I we had like, an acre fenced in, and it was a beautiful yard, but one of the things we had to do was we had to mow our yard all the time. And so I would, I loved mowing the yard because in a pretty short amount of time, you made the weeds look beautiful, right? It wasn't grass where we lived, it was just shorter weeds, okay? But I loved how I would mow the yard and it would look pretty all of a sudden. But I would go into town, okay? When you're from the country, there's into town. And I would go into town where my grandparents lived and people actually lived by your house, so they could see your yard. And so, you know what's really important on your grass cutting when there's people that see it every day? Lines. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you want lines? This is very important. Some, some of the, the, the adult people are like, we, we hear you, you know? Lines in your grass is very important. And one of the things my grandfather taught me, that if I was going to get paid to mow his grass, the lines had to be straight. Right? Uh, I'm gonna, where, where's, where's Brother Lane at, actually? I, mean, I need him to help me. Can you come up? I, got, I know the kids were going to be here. I got a little illustration to help us with this today. Elaine uh, is my beautiful assistant this morning, so he's going to help us out. Everybody give Elaine a hand. Isn't he beautiful, folks? So uh, I'm a, I, I like to see things visually if you're with me. Like, you know, I like books with pictures. And uh, there's, thank you, sir. So I couldn't bring a real lawnmower in here. I couldn't bring a real lawnmower in here, so I brought this guy. Um, and just for fun, it's actually a bubble maker. And so you just, there we go. So just to, you'll always remember this idiot that blew bubbles in your church. Okay. So the, the thing about mowing a lawn, if you want the lines to stay straight, you have to keep your focus ahead of you. You see, if I want my line to be straight and I'm pushing it this way, when I get to the end and turn around, the line will be straight behind me. But what happens oftentimes, especially for young lawnmowers, is we get distracted by things around us. And so our gaze turns from what's ahead of us to what's right in front of us, and we kind of go a little this way and go a little this way, and before long we look back and the line behind us is jagged. What God is calling his people to here is to return your focus to me so that your path can be straight. He wants their focus to be renewed. He says, return to me. Turn your gaze from your circumstances to the giver of good gifts. He wants them to mow straight lines. He wants them to return to him. But the question is a good one, actually. He says, you ask, how can I return to you? This is a great question for us to ask. Because we should ask this because we always walk away from God. So we should be experts in the question, how do we return to the one 
that we walked away from. You see, to understand how to return, you got to know where you went wrong, don't you? To know how to get back, you've seen the movies where they draw, uh, uh, they, they, they leave yarn behind them as they go through the woods, or they drop little things or tie things to trees, because you got to know where you made lefts and rights to know how you get back. We have to know our missteps to know how to get back in step with where God wants us. There's two specific things here that God says that Israel has gone wayward in. Now, I love this because oftentimes the Bible gives us a long list of how broken we are. So I'm good with two things. I don't know about you. I'm good with two things that helps me to focus really well. Now, it's a short list, but I think if we look deeply at it, we will see ourselves smack dab in the middle of this list. The first thing we see is that we misplace our worship. We misplace our worship. Verse 8 says, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with the curse, for you are robbing, are robbing me, the whole nation of you. You see, our worship is oftentimes misplaced because we're looking in the wrong direction of something to worship. We often look down to what is in our hands and begin to go off course as opposed to looking to ahead and up to the one who's giving us all the good gifts in our lives. See, what had happened was Israel had begun to sin against God and God allowed things to curse the land. Now, that was a big deal for them because everything they ate, all of their provision came from the land. They were agricultural people. So when the land was dry, their crops didn't grow. When there was the devourer came, which was locusts, they would eat the crops. It wouldn't have anything to eat. The farmer's market wouldn't be full. Nothing to sell, nothing to buy, nothing to sustain us. So when the land was cursed, they were cursed. And what was happening, here's what happens. When, when the bank account gets lower than you'd like it to, to go, what happens? Spending freeze. We're going on a spin. We're having a family meeting. Dad calls a family meeting. My dad used to always use this word moratorium, right? I don't know. I still, I'm not really sure what it means. I just know it means I can't get some new shoes, okay? There was a moratorium on spending, a spending freeze. This is what happens when our bank accounts get lower than we'd like for them to. And oftentimes, our sacrificial giving is the first thing to go. This is the same thing for Israel. The crops were running low, so we have to take care of ourselves. We can't give to God what's rightfully his because I have to feed myself. You see, their, their focus was not on their provider. Their focus was on the provision. And so when they said, well, we can't give to God what rightfully belongs to him, even though he's given us everything, we have to look out for ourselves. And God says, you are robbing me. And what has happened is you become so focused on your provision that you worship it. You know, what worship is, is, is sacrificing for something. And when it's like, oh my gosh, we have to do whatever it takes to take care of this little provision that we have, you sacrifice anything to keep it. God says you are mowing jagged lines. Your focus is on your situation, not on your sustainer. 
They had misplaced their worship. The amazing thing about God is that he, he rebukes them, but then he gives them a promise, doesn't he? See, he's a promise keeper, and he continues to promise. He says this. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Just get back to the giving I called you to. Now, this is not a specifically giving text. Uh, there, there are many uh, writers who say we, there's a biblical standard for giving 10%. There's other writers that say 10% isn't necessarily a New Testament standard. But both authors would say that, that actually Christians should give more than 10%. That we, this is all, 10% was pre-Jesus. We live post-cross. We see God more completely now. We have a greater understanding of what sacrifice looks like. We had evidences of the New Testament of the, the widow's might giving everything she had. So now giving isn't limited to a percentage but it's, limited, it's called to our hearts to be sacrificial and cheerful. So 10%, if y'all need a number to start at, 10% is great. But the, the, the Christian heart should be one of sacrifice and joy when it comes to giving back to God out of what he's given to us. He tells them, bring the full tithe, the full 10% of your grain into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then unprecedented God says, and thereby what? Put me to the test. And we're told, don't test God. But God says, when it comes to your provision, go ahead and test me. See what I do for you if you would be sacrificial and faithful in your giving. And I'm sure if we had a microphone right here, there are testimonies. There's enough seasoned saints in here to give testimony to God's provision in times of shortage, isn't there? My... my, uh, my wife's grandmother, Madeer, she passed away before uh, we got married, before I had a chance to meet her. But my mother-in-law tells stories of growing up in West Texas, a single mom of eight children, a widow uh, with eight children, days where there would be no food in the cupboards. And Madeer would have the kids set the table anyway. And they would sit there and pray that God would provide for them. And almost every time there would be a knock at the door. And someone with groceries. The reality is, many of us have testimonies like that. We didn't know how we were going to make it. Or God called us to give sacrificially to someplace, and lo and behold, a check shows up. A blessing shows up. He takes care of his people. He says, you can test me in this category. And he gives a promise. He says this. He says, if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no need. The first promise he makes is if you give faithfully and sacrificially, I will take care of what you need. It's a promise. You can take it to the bank. I will take care of your needs. You see, we focus on our resources to take care of our needs, but God uses the resources of heaven to provide for us. You think your resources is what takes care of you, but I don't care how big your bank account is, it's still limited. At a certain point, your credit line runs out. God has the resources of heaven at his beck and call. His resources do not run out, and he uses them to take care of us. We're limited in our reach, but God's pockets are bottomless. Some, uh, a young couple at our church, they do foster care and adoption, and they have two of their own children, and they're pregnant with their third, and they have one car. The, the, the husband takes uh, the metro to and from work and leaves the car for his wife two biological children and two foster care children. And more, uh, a few weeks ago, he, he texted her and said, hey, we, we've got to get a second car, but we can't afford it because you stay home and I work. And 
you know what, I'm just going to go find a second job and make more money. And he, he screenshotted this text and sent it to our, our men's text thread that we have. And his wife's response is, I really think that we should pray first. And he's like, yeah, 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 we'll pray too, but I'm going to go get this job and take care of our family. And she says, I need you to stop right now and pray this prayer. That was Wednesday, and on Friday, somebody called them and had a car for them. They didn't share this with anybody until after it was already done. You see, God knows our needs before we even ask them. And he has limitless resources to provide for us. So why wouldn't we give joyfully and sacrificially to him? Because he promises he'll take care of our needs. The second thing he promises, verse 11. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruit of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. The second thing he says is, I can handle your circumstances. I can handle your circumstances. You see, we spend so much time trying to figure out how to fix things that are outside of our control. They couldn't control locusts. They couldn't control the rain. An infestation had come upon their crops. There was a shortage. So the people decided to keep what they had instead of trusting God. And God's telling them that if you just place your worship and trust in me and not in your crops, then I'll handle the things you can't control. See, what we can control is how we respond to God. What we can't control is anything else. So God says, if you'll take care of what you can control, your faith and trust in me, I'll control all your circumstances. He says, I'll rebuke the devourer for you. Listen, I think that that is a message for somebody. I don't know what the devourer is in your life. What the, th- the thing that's causing you to lack yield in the area that you want to produce fruit in. But God's saying to you today, I will rebuke the devourer for you. You focus on faith and trust in Christ, and God will take care of the rebuke. He says, I'll put you in a position to bear fruit. Uh, my wife and I were pregnant with our, our first child. My wife and I have been married for 10 years this October. I know I look super young, right? So I can't be 10 years already. And um, we have three kids, Violet, seven, Theo is four, and Alexandra is almost two. She's so young, I can't remember her birthday yet. Parents, you know what I'm saying? Don't ask me about the youngest one. She's new. Give me, give me three or four years before I know the birthday, okay? I got my <laughs> anniversary, my birthday, her birthday, two other kids' birthdays. Anyway, some of y'all have like six kids, so you know what I'm talking about. So our first child is coming. I was a church planter living off raised support in South City. My wife had a good job in Clayton doing some, uh, doing some different design stuff. And we're, she's pregnant, and she says to me, I want to stay home with the kids. Okay, so uh, at that point, I had been selling some furniture to make ends meet out of my garage. Uh, when I tell you, I had a million different business ideas in my mind. My favorite one was I was going to start a bubble tea spot on South Grand. Any bubble tea fans? It's the drink you chew. Amen. So it's, you drink it and you chew it at the same time. It's disgusting if your first time. It's delicious your 10th time. Okay. I was going to start a bubble tea spot. And then I realized if I did that, she had to spend more time at the bubble tea spot managing that than at the job she currently had. And we'd make less money. But what God showed me was that I was already selling furniture out of our garage to make ends meet. If I just did that more that there would be more provision and take care of our family. 
So eight years later, we have an award-winning resale shop in South City. We buy the furniture you don't want anymore, and we sell it to people who all of a sudden want it. It's amazing. And God used old furniture from your basement to provide for our family so that my wife can stay home with our kids, and that's seven years now. She stayed home with our kids off the, the extra that comes from old furniture. God says, if you focus on being faithful to me, I'll take care of your circumstances that seem out of your control. The third thing he says in verse 12, then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delights as the Lord of hosts. The third promise he makes to us, if we're faithful in our worship of him and our sacrificial giving of our resources is I'll make you a blessing to others. You see, just paying our bills is not where most of us want to be. We don't want to be check to check. God's telling us that it is his heart for his people as well to not have to survive check to check. But the way for us to get there is not by hoarding our resources for ourselves. I remember just being out of college. Uh, I was going to be a dentist. I was going to school to be a dentist. I was going to, I just wanted to make a lot of money and love Jesus. That sounded, that sounded great to me. Uh, but between my junior and senior year, the Lord called me to ministry. And when I graduated college, a buddy called me and said, hey, we got this young church. We got about 10 uh, teenagers. Would you want to come be our youth pastor? And I was looking at graduating dental school, starting about 150K. You know, it was going to be a sweet deal. And he said the, the pay was 150 a week. And so I went from this dream of coming out to six figures to uh, living in someone's basement in a bedroom with no windows, which is amazing for naps and terrible for morning meetings. Because you have no idea what time it is. It's just no windows anywhere. So the best naps, I was always late to meetings, though. So I lived 150 bucks a week. Uh, I, 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 I was always the recipient of the generosity of others. So every coffee I went to, people, they knew where I lived. And like, hey, we'll, we'll buy. Every dinner I went to, hey, we got the bill. And, and while on one hand I appreciated that, I also longed to not be in that position anymore. I wanted to be able to do that for other people. I wanted to be blessed to be a blessing. And see, this is the reality of, of, of financial blessing from God. That he doesn't give us resources for it to terminate with us. He doesn't give us blessings of any kind for them to terminate on us, but to roll over into worship of him and the blessing of those around us. That's what our resources are to be used for. And he promises us, if you will give sacrificially and generously... I will make you a blessing to those around you. See, the wrong direction we go is when we allow shortages around us to result in us trying to hold on to all we have instead of trusting God in trying times. The good news for us is that our sacrificial giving is not what changes us. The good news is that Jesus' sacrificial giving will change us. The amount we give is not what will give us forgiveness for our sins, the life that Christ gave is what forgives us of our brokenness. You see, when our eyes go down on our circumstances, the lines we leave in our lives are crooked. But when our gaze is fixed firmly on Jesus, he turns our crooked lines straight. The second thing we see here, the, the way that we need to change, he tells the people of Israel that we put anger where hope should be. We put anger where hope should be. Verse 13. Not only have you robbed me, he says, but your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. 
But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. See, the people of God went the wrong direction when they decided to see their circumstances as, as God's fault, not as an opportunity for his faithfulness. Let me say that again. The people of God, of God go the wrong direction when we see our circumstances as God's fault, not as an opportunity for his faithfulness. He said their words have been hard against him. This is an interesting charge from God, from the creator of all things. I don't like how you're talking about me, God says. The amazing thing is whether they said it out loud or said it in their hearts, he knows the words they speak against him. So you, you may say, well, I would never talk about God like this. But we think about this in our minds and in our hearts when our circumstances are not the way that we want them to be. Why would God do this to me? My situation is God's fault. It's his wrongdoing against me. God would say to us, you've gone the wrong direction because your words against me are hard. You don't see your situation as an opportunity for me to be faithful in. You see your situation as a reason to place fault on me. Our perspective is wrong. Have you been angry about your situation and allowed that anger to be focused on God? I have. We just have a time of confession. I'm not where I wanted to be. There are certain relationships. There are people who have left our church because of my leadership. There are people that, that I haven't preached the best sermons to them, and so they don't like our friends that I haven't been the perfect friend to, and so they leave. And oftentimes I can take those things, but God, why did you even put me in that situation? And I place fault on God where he wants me to have hope for his faithfulness in the midst of the situation. And then oftentimes some of you even now could be sitting here saying this. The arrogant around us seem to be succeeding. Here, here my, I am trying to be faithful to God, and my situation looks bleak, and these people around me who lie, cheat, and steal seem to be winning. Do you, have you not felt that before? I do. I mean, I, I love Mark McGuire, but he was juiced up like crazy. I mean, you know, he, he was killing it. I was clapping at the games. I heard a comedian once say, hey, I want my athletes to be as juiced as possible. I want to be like a video game. Just, just do your thing and just hit home runs. But the reality is, is that there are many people who are trying to do and play sports the right way, working hard, put their time in the gym, working on their swing, and there are some folks who were cheating. And it's, it's like, man, well, how are they prospering? How are they bringing baseball back? And I'm sitting here working my tail off and not getting anywhere. We feel like that too. But Psalm 37 says this. That's where I want us to end. Never envy the wicked. This is the, the Living Bible. Some of y'all are like, I don't read that, but I think it's beautiful for uh, devotionals. Psalm 37 says, Never envy the wicked. Soon they fade away like grass and disappear. Trust in the Lord instead. Be kind and good to others. Then you will live safely here in the land and prosper, feeding in safety. Be delighted with the Lord, then he will give you all your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord, 
Trust him to help you do it, and he will. Your innocence will be clear to everyone. He will vindicate you with blazing light of justice shining down as from the noonday sun. Verse 7 says this, rest in the Lord, wait patiently for him. Don't be envious of evil men who prosper. When you see your situation is not what you would desire. The answer is not to speak evil of God, to not place your anger in him, but to have hope that he will keep his promise in the same way that he did with the people of Israel. Because he doesn't change, we have a chance to. And that what he's calling us to do is to do our part to make the lawn of creation look a little better. To keep our gaze on him so that we can mow a straight line. And here's the beautiful reality. You are going to blow it in keeping a straight line. But what happens is, when you set your faith and trust in Jesus, he secures the path. It's like GPS automatic driving for your mower. Is that a thing in West County? Do people have that? Okay, I drive a 2002 F-150 pickup with a dent in the side, okay? So I don't know about all that. But I'm saying, when you say yes to Jesus, Ephesians 1 and 2 says, when you put your faith in Christ, you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Which means that saying yes to Jesus is an instantaneous securing of your life. Which means even when you get lost in your circumstances, which would typically take you and make your path jagged, your path is secured on Jesus. So you're like, God, I know that I was looking the wrong direction at this part, but when I look back, my path is straight. It's because you're not the one driving the mower of your life. Jesus is the one directing you. Now, if you want to control your own situation, I'm telling you, every little rock, every stick will jack up your path. But when you place your faith in Christ, he sets your path firmly on him and makes your way straight. So even when you don't give in the way that you should, even when you look to your provision, not your provider, even when you do say angry things verbally and mentally and in your heart towards the Lord, even when those things happen, because of Christ, they don't derail you. Because of Jesus, you are secure. So the answer is not, I'll just give more. The answer is not, I'll just say nice things. The answer is fix your gaze firmly on Christ. He's the one who's given the ultimate sacrifice. Not you. He's the one who said, he doesn't just speak over you, he sings over you. His words are more powerful than yours. So when you focus on Christ and what he has done on your behalf, your path will be straight even when you go the wrong way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, that while you call us to holiness, while you call us to to worship the right way, to not focus on our provision, but focus on you, the provider, God, that we will fall short, that we will not worship correctly. God, we will not view you correctly. We will place our anger on you instead of our hope. But because of Jesus, those things don't ruin us. Because of Jesus, you come to us and say, I don't change so you're not consumed. I remain the same so you have a thousandth chance. So God, today, whoever in the building needs that thousandth chance, 
would you speak to them and say, I'm here and I don't change? God, would you give us the faith to say yes to you today? God, not to look to our giving and the words of our mouths as the means of salvation, but look at the cross of Christ. To look to Jesus as the the author and the perfecter of our faith. That as we give sacrificially, as we place our hope on you in the midst of terrible circumstances, God, that we look to King Jesus for our hope. God, that you will direct our path and lead us to everlasting life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Red Tree Church. Visit redtreechurch.com for more information.